Chapter 1, Part 4 of Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Angela Bodwin. Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds by Charles Mackay. Volume 2, Chapter 1, The Crusades, Part 4. Alexius, however, had himself to blame, in a great measure, for the indignities he suffered. Owing to his insincerity, the crusaders mistrusted him so much that it became at last a common saying that the Turks and Saracens were not such inveterate foes to the Western or Latin Christians as the Emperor Alexius and the Greeks. It would be needless in this sketch, which does not profess to be so much a history of the crusades, as of the madness of europe from which they sprang to detail the various acts of bribery and intimidation cajolery and hostility by which alexius contrived to make each of the leaders in succession as they arrived take the oath of allegiance to him as their suzerain one way or another he exacted from each the barren homage on which he had set his heart and they were then allowed to proceed into asia minor one only raymond de st gilles count of toulouse obstinately refused the homage their residence in constantinople was productive of no good to the armies of the cross bickerings and contentions on the one hand and the influence of a depraved and luxurious court on the other destroyed the elasticity of their spirits and cooled the first ardour of their enthusiasm at one time the army of the count of toulouse was on the point of disbanding itself and had not their leader energetically removed them across the bosphorus this would have been the result once in asia their spirits in some degree revived and the presence of danger and difficulty nerved them to the work they had undertaken the first operation of the war was the siege of nice to gain possession of which all their efforts were directed godfrey of bouillon and the count of vermandois were joined under its walls by each host in succession as it left constantinople among the celebrated crusaders who fought at this siege we find besides the leaders already mentioned the brave and generous tancred whose name and fame have been immortalized in the jerusalem liberata the valorous bishop of puy baldwin afterwards king of jerusalem and peter the hermit now an almost solitary soldier shorn of all the power and influence he had formerly possessed kilij aslan the sultan of rome and the chief of the seljukian turks whose deeds surrounded by the false halo of romance are familiar to the readers of tasso under the name of solomon marched to defend this city but was defeated after several obstinate engagements in which the christians showed a degree of heroism that quite astonished him the turkish chief had expected to find a wild undisciplined multitude like that under peter the hermit without leaders capable of enforcing obedience instead of which he found the most experienced leaders of the age at the head of armies that had just fanaticism enough to be ferocious but not enough to render them ungovernable in these engagements many hundreds fell on both sides and on both sides the most revolting barbarity was practised the crusaders cut off the heads of the fallen mussulmans and sent them in panniers to constantinople as trophies of their victory after the temporary defeat of kilij aslan the siege of nice was carried on with redoubled vigour the turks defended themselves with the greatest obstinacy and discharged showers of poisoned arrows upon the crusaders when any unfortunate wretch was killed under the walls they let down iron hooks from above and drew the body up which after stripping and mutilating they threw back again at the besiegers the latter were well supplied with provisions and for six and thirty days the siege continued without any relaxation of the efforts on either side 
many tales are told of the almost superhuman heroism of the christian leaders how one man put a thousand to flight and how the arrows of the faithful never missed their mark one anecdote of godfrey of bouillon related by albert of x is worth recording not only as showing the high opinion entertained of his valor but as showing the contagious credulity of the armies a credulity which as often led them to the very verge of defeat as it incited them to victory one turk of gigantic stature took his station day by day on the battlements of nice and bearing an enormous bow committed great havoc among the christian host not a shaft he sped but bore death upon its point and although the crusaders aimed repeatedly at his breast and he stood in the most exposed position their arrows fell harmless at his feet he seemed to be invulnerable to attack and a report was soon spread abroad that he was no other than the arch-fiend himself and that mortal hand could not prevail against him godfrey of bouillon who had no faith in the supernatural character of the mussulman determined if possible to put an end to the dismay which was rapidly paralyzing the exertions of his best soldiers taking a huge crossbow he stood forward in front of the army to try the steadiness of his hand against the much dreaded archer the shaft was aimed directly at his heart and took fatal effect the moslem fell amid the groans of the besieged and the shouts of deus aduva deus aduva the war-cry of the besiegers at last the crusaders imagined that they had overcome all obstacles and were preparing to take possession of the city when to their great astonishment they saw the flag of the emperor alexius flying from the battlements an emissary of the emperor named fetisius or tatin had contrived to gain admission with a body of greek troops at a point which the crusaders had left unprotected and had persuaded the turks to surrender to him rather than to the crusading forces the greatest indignation prevailed in the army when this stratagem was discovered and the soldiers were with the utmost difficulty prevented from renewing the attack and besieging the greek emissary the army however continued its march and by some means or other was broken into two divisions some historians say accidentally while others affirm by mutual consent and for the convenience of obtaining provisions on the way the one division was composed of the forces under bohemond tancred and the duke of normandy while the other which took a route at some distance on the right was commanded by godfrey of bouillon and the other chiefs the sultan of rome who after his losses at nice had been silently making great efforts to crush the crusaders at one blow collected in a very short time all the multitudinous tribes that owed him allegiance and with an army which according to a moderate calculation amounted to two hundred thousand men chiefly cavalry he fell upon the first division of the christian host in the valley of Duralam it was early in the morning of the first of july ten ninety seven when the crusaders saw the first companies of the turkish horsemen pouring down upon them from the hills bohemond had hardly time to set himself in order and transport his sick and helpless to the rear when the overwhelming force of the orientals was upon him the christian army composed principally of men on foot gave way on all sides and the hoofs of the turkish steeds and the poisoned arrows of their bowmen mowed them down by hundreds after having lost the flower of their chivalry the christians retreated upon their baggage when a dreadful slaughter took place neither women nor children nor the sick were spared just as they were reduced to the last extremity godfrey of bouillon and the count of toulouse made their appearance on the field and turned the tide of the battle after an obstinate engagement the turks fled and their rich camp fell into the hands of the enemy the loss of the crusaders amounted to about four thousand men 
with several chiefs of renown among whom were count robert of paris and william the brother of tancred the loss of the turks which did not exceed this number taught them to pursue a different mode of warfare the sultan was far from being defeated with his still gigantic army he laid waste all the country on either side of the crusaders the latter who were unaware of the tactics of the enemy found plenty of provisions in the turkish camp but so far from economizing these resources they gave themselves up for several days to the most unbounded extravagance they soon paid dearly for their heedlessness in the ravaged country of phrygia through which they advanced toward antiochetum they suffered dreadfully for want of food for themselves and pasture for their cattle above them was a scorching sun almost sufficient of itself to dry up the freshness of the land a task which the firebrands of the sultan had but too surely effected and water was not to be had after the first day of their march the pilgrims died at the rate of five hundred a day the horses of the knights perished on the road and the baggage which they had aided to transport was either placed upon dogs sheep and swine or abandoned altogether in some of the calamities that afterwards befell them the christians gave themselves up to the most reckless profligacy but upon this occasion the dissensions which prosperity had engendered were all forgotten religion often disregarded arose in the stern presence of misfortune and cheered them as they died by the promises of eternal felicity at length they reached antiochetta where they found water in abundance and pastures for their expiring cattle plenty once more surrounded them and here they pitched their tents untaught by the bitter experience of famine they again gave themselves up to luxury and waste on the eighteenth of october they sat down before the strong city of antioch the siege of which and the events to which it gave rise are among the most extraordinary incidents of the crusade the city which is situated on an eminence and washed by the river orontes is naturally a very strong position and the turkish garrison were well supplied with provisions to endure a long siege in this respect the christians were also fortunate but unlucky for themselves unwise their force amounted to three hundred thousand fighting men and we are informed by raymond d'argile that they had so much provision that they threw away the greater part of every animal they killed being so dainty that they would only eat particular parts of the beast so insane was their extravagance that in less than ten days famine began to stare them in the face after making a fruitless attempt to gain possession of the city by a coup de main they starving themselves sat down to starve out the enemy but with want came a cooling of enthusiasm the chiefs began to grow weary of the expedition baldwin had previously detached himself from the main body of the army and proceeding to edessa had intrigued himself into the supreme power in that little principality the other leaders were animated with less zeal than heretofore stephen of chartres and hugh of vermandois began to waver unable to endure the privations which their own folly and profusion had brought upon them even peter the hermit became sick at heart ere all was over when the famine had become so urgent that they were reduced to eat human flesh in the extremity of their hunger bohemond and robert of flanders set forth on an expedition to procure a supply they were in a slight degree successful but the relief they brought was not economized and in two days they were as destitute as before Fetisius, the greek commander and representative of alexius deserted with his division under pretense of seeking for food and his example was followed by various bodies of crusaders misery was rife among those who remained and they strove to alleviate it by diligent attention to signs and omens these with extraordinary visions seen by the enthusiastic 
alternately cheered and depressed them according as they foretold the triumph or pictured the reverses of the cross at one time a violent hurricane arose leveling great trees with the ground and blowing down the tents of the christian leaders at another time an earthquake shook the camp and was thought to prognosticate some great impending evil to the cause of christendom but a comet which appeared shortly afterwards raised them from the despondency into which they had fallen their lively imaginations making it assume the form of a flaming cross leading them on to victory famine was not the least of the evils they endured unwholesome food and the impure air from the neighboring marshes engendered pestilential diseases which carried them off more rapidly than the arrows of the enemy a thousand of them died in a day and it became at last a matter of extreme difficulty to afford them burial to add to their misery each man grew suspicious of his neighbor for the camp was infested by turkish spies who conveyed daily to the besieged intelligence of the movements and distresses of the enemy with a ferocity engendered by despair bohemond caused two spies whom he had detected to be roasted alive in the presence of the army and within sight of the battlements of antioch but even this example failed to reduce their numbers and the turks continued to be as well informed as the christians themselves of all that was passing in the camp the news of the arrival of a reinforcement of soldiers from europe with an abundant stock of provisions came to cheer them when reduced to the last extremity the welcome succor landed at st simeon the port of antioch and about six miles from that city thitherwards the famishing crusaders proceeded in tumultuous bands followed by bohemond and the count of toulouse with strong detachments of their retainers and vassals to escort the supplies in safety to the camp the garrison of antioch forewarned of this arrival was on the alert and a corps of turkish archers was dispatched to lie in ambuscade among the mountains and intercept their return bohemond laden with provisions was encountered in the rocky passes by the turkish host great numbers of his followers were slain and he himself had just time to escape to the camp with news of his defeat godfrey of bouillon the duke of normandy and the other leaders had heard the rumor of this battle and were at that instant preparing for the rescue the army was immediately in motion animated both by zeal and by hunger and marched so rapidly as to intercept the victorious turks before they had time to reach antioch with their spoil a fierce battle ensued which lasted from noon till the going down of the sun the christians gained and maintained the advantage each man fighting as if upon himself alone had depended the fortune of the day hundreds of turks perished in the orontes and more than two thousand were left dead upon the field of battle all the provision was recaptured and brought in safety to the camp whither the crusaders returned singing alleluia or shouting deus aduva deus aduva this relief lasted for some days and had it been duly economized would have lasted much longer but the chiefs had no authority and were unable to exercise any control over its distribution famine again approached with rapid strides and stephen count of blois not liking the prospect withdrew from the camp with four thousand of his retainers and established himself at alexandretta the moral influence of this desertion was highly prejudicial upon those who remained and bohemond the most impatient and ambitious of the chiefs foresaw that unless speedily checked it would lead to the utter failure of the expedition it was necessary to act decisively the army murmured at the length of the siege and the sultan was collecting his forces to crush them against the efforts of the crusaders antioch might have held out for months but treason within effected that which courage without might have striven for in vain 
Bagasihan, the Turkish prince or emir of Antioch, had under his command an Armenian of the name of Firuz, whom he had entrusted with the defense of a tower on that part of the city wall which overlooked the passes of the mountains. Bohemond, by means of a spy who had embraced the Christian religion, and to whom he had given his own name at baptism, kept up a daily communication with this captain, and made him the most magnificent promises of reward, if he would deliver up his post to the crusaders. Whether the proposal was first made by Bohemond or by the Armenian is uncertain, but that a good understanding soon existed between them is undoubted, and a night was fixed for the execution of the project. Bohemond communicated the scheme to Godfrey and the Count of Toulouse, with the stipulation that, if the city were won, he, as the soul of the enterprise, should enjoy the dignity of Prince of Antioch. The other leaders hesitated. Ambition and jealousy prompted them to refuse their aid in furthering the views of the intriguer. More mature consideration decided them to acquiesce, and seven hundred of the bravest knights were chosen for the expedition, the real object of which, for fear of spies, was kept a profound secret from the rest of the army. When all was ready, a report was promulgated that the seven hundred were intended to form an ambuscade for a division of the sultan's army, which was stated to be approaching. Everything favored the treacherous project of the Armenian captain, who, on his solitary watchtower, received due intimation of the approach of the crusaders. The night was dark and stormy, not a star was visible above, and the wind howled so furiously as to overpower all other sounds. The rain fell in torrents and the watchers on the towers adjoining to that of Firuz could not hear the tramp of the armed knights for the wind, nor see them for the obscurity of the night and the dismalness of the weather. When within shot of the walls, Bohemond sent forward an interpreter to confer with the Armenian. The latter urged them to make haste and seize the favorable interval, as armed men with lighted torches patrolled the battlements every half hour, and at that instant they had just passed. The chiefs were instantly at the foot of the wall. Firuz let down a rope. Bohemond attached it to the end of a ladder of hides, which was then raised by the Armenian, and held while the knights mounted. A momentary fear came over the spirit of the adventurers, and every one hesitated. At last Bohemond, encouraged by Firuz from above, ascended a few steps on the ladder, and was followed by Godfrey, Count Robert of Flanders, and a number of other knights. As they advanced, others pressed forward, until their weight became too great for the ladder, which, breaking, precipitated about a dozen of them to the ground, where they fell one upon the other, making a great clatter with their heavy coats of mail. For a moment they thought that all was lost, but the wind made so loud a howling as it swept in fierce gusts through the mountain gorges, and the Orontes, swollen by the rain, rushed so noisily along that the guards heard nothing. The ladder was easily repaired and the knights ascended two at a time and reached the platform in safety. When sixty of them had thus ascended, the torch of the coming patrol was seen to gleam at the angle of the wall. Hiding themselves behind a buttress, they awaited his coming in breathless silence. As soon as he arrived at arm's length, he was suddenly seized, and, before he could open his lips to raise an alarm, the silence of death closed them up forever. They next descended rapidly the spiral staircase of the tower, and, opening the portal, admitted the whole of their companions, Raymond of Toulouse, who, cognizant of the whole plan, had been left behind with the main body of the army, heard at this instant the signal horn, which announced that an entry had been effected, and, leading on his legions, the town was attacked from within and without. 
Imagination cannot conceive a scene more dreadful than that presented by the devoted city of Antioch on that night of horror. The crusaders fought with a blind fury, which fanaticism and suffering alike incited. Men, women, and children were indiscriminately slaughtered, till the streets ran with blood. Darkness increased the destruction, for when morning dawned, the crusaders found themselves with their swords at the breasts of their fellow-soldiers, whom they had mistaken for foes. The Turkish commander fled, first to the citadel, and that becoming insecure to the mountains, whither he was pursued and slain, and his grey head brought back to Antioch as a trophy. At daylight the massacre ceased, and the crusaders gave themselves up to plunder. They found gold and jewels and silk and velvets in abundance, but of provisions which were of more importance to them, they found but little of any kind. Corn was excessively scarce, and they discovered to their sorrow that in this respect the besieged had been but little better off than the besiegers. End of chapter 1, part 4. Recording by Angela Bodwin.